Hey, welcome back to the Zoe Church podcast. We're a church in Los Angeles, a church for Jesus, a church worshiping Jesus. And today we're so excited for you to tune in as you hear a message about discipleship. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, let me... Uh, explain this a little bit. Uh, how do you offer your body as a living sacrifice? And what does that mean? I don't know if you're in, in here today and you see Nadine or the worship team, they're leading so well and it sounds so beautiful and it's powerful and you realize to yourself that you probably could never do what they're doing. Like, like me, if I were to get up here and instead of preaching, I was leading worship, like I think the church you got, you would leave, I think God would leave, I think the lights would turn off, I just think it would be horrible, right? And I remember early on in my faith, I'm like, how, do, how am I supposed to worship like, like those people? Like, I can't sing as loud or the tune of my song doesn't sound as good. But really what Paul's saying is true worship isn't a song or a melody. True worship is the way you live your life. And what discipleship looks like is making every part of your life worship to God. That means the way you have relationship is worship. The way you handle your money is worship. The music you listen to can be a form of, of worship. The work that you do is a form of worship. Then it continues on in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's discipleship. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write down the title of today's talk. Uh, the title of today's talk is called The Price is Right. The Price is Right. How many of you love the, the show The Price is Right? Like I grew up, I love The Price is Right. Bob Barker, the wheel. Just So today we're going to spin the wheel of, like, what? No. No, but seriously, come on down. Like, it's always been a bucket list for me to get called down to, to The Price is Right. And uh, apparently none of you have watched daytime TV. That's fine. That's fine. I grew up lonely, and no, I'm just kidding. But I think that a life that honors God, it costs us something. Yeah. And there's a price to pay for a life that not only honors God, but if I can convince you by the end of today, satisfies you in God. So why don't we pray, and then we'll jump into the talk. Father, we thank you today for your loving kindness. We thank you that today you're with us. Your presence is here. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for joy. We thank you for peace. God, would you show us how to be disciples today? In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Okay. Real quick, church poll. This takes full participation. I need everyone to be involved. Raise your hand if you've ever spent money on something stupid. Okay, yes. The hands are, are raised, right? Uh, I, I've spent money on many stupid things in my lifetime. And I, I I'll say this. I don't know if the last time you've door-dashed, you've Uber-eated, you've Postmated. I remember when we first started this thing, it was like delivery fee, 49 cents. You check out for your chimichanga, it's chimichanga plus 49 cents. Now you get to check out, it's chimichanga plus $49. Like it's, and I still do it. Like why do I still do it? It's not even good. By the time it gets there, it's not even crispy anymore. It's just—it's disgusting. It's, yeah, it's, it's a taco. It's a soft taco at that point. Yes, it's a good uh, yeah distinction. Taco Bell. It's a big deal. Okay. Sometimes we spend money on crazy things. Like uh, I don't know. Last time that you um, renewed your tabs, like registered your car, renewed your registration. I think that's where I'm going with this one. Yeah, clearly I have problems with it. I, I grew up in Washington State. It's sixty bucks. Okay. 
It's a parking ticket outside Blue Bottle, okay? That's how much it is. <laughs> Here in Los Angeles, one of our vehicles was $600. The problem is, again, I'm not good with the read registration thing, and so we, uh, it, it, you know, we went past the time, the due date, and it ended up being like the cost of a, a whole other car. So it was great. It was great. Don't do that. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, there's a, a scam that, pa any parents in the room? Four. <laughs> Thankful for you. You're doing the world justice, great parents. Parents don't fall into this scam. Kids clothes. Some of the stupidest money I've ever spent buying my kids shoes. Like legit two weeks later, they outgrow their shoes and we gotta buy them a whole, my son is into, my, my, my six year old, uh, he's recently been into Jordans. Mm. Like is that like a, you relate with me, the pain? It's a lot of money for these Jordans, these kids' shoes. And he outgrows them so fast. And by the time they get to the, the younger one, the three-year-old, it's like he can't wear them because now they're just dirty Jordans. And who's going to walk around dirty Jordans? It just feels like it's a scam. Spending, I just want to chop the toes off, let them walk around grizzle-toed. <laughs> cut some holes in a pillowcase. Here you go, off to school. Just if, I feel like sometimes we can spend money on, the, on just the... We can spend money on things that add no real value to our lives. And I would present the question to you. What would the price be for you to live the life you actually want? I'm not talking about like, the wor like, like what the world is trying to convince you you want. I'm not talking about a life that looks spectacular or sounds spectacular. I'm talking about the life you, you really want. Look, you can actually, you can buy fame now. Like you can get the, the blue check mark on Twitter. I don't know, Twitter X, whatever, whatever it's called. Twitter X, you can, it's eight bucks, okay? You can go get that, good for you, it's awesome. But really what you want from that status is to feel validated, confident, secure. What, like what, what price would it take for you to pay to have the joy you've actually been praying for? What price would it take for you to have relationships that were healthy and whole and put together and withstood the test of time? What would it look like? What price would you pay to have peace that surpasses all understanding? That at night when you go to bed, as soon as you put your head on the pillow, you fall asleep because you don't have any care or consideration outside of the peace that only God can give you. What price would you pay? I want to convince you, whatever price is required, that price is right. And God calls us into a, a process. God calls us into a relationship called discipleship that can actually provide the things that, we're, that, we, that we really want. Now, I, I don't think uh, we, we realize this necessarily, but did you know that you're a disciple? Right now, you are currently a disciple. You are a student or you follow the way of a teacher school, or school of thought. You might not realize it, but some of you, you're being discipled by a screen. And so you live your life according to what the screen tells you to do. You live your life according to what the screen shows you to do. Some of you, you're in the room and you're wondering why you can't keep a relationship, but the whole time you're trying to convince your boyfriend to watch The Bachelor with you. And you're like, but he keeps on looking at other girls because you're trying to convince him to watch a show where one guy's dating 26 other girls. What do you expect? We're being discipled by what we're viewing and we're studying the most. Some of us were being discipled by, by music. 
Some of us were being discipled by, by our culture, by fashion. Some of us were being discipled by, by things like shame. And this thought that has set in at some point in our life that we aren't enough, that we'll never be enough, that we are not sufficient or adequate, that we'll amount to nothing. And so we live our life studying and looking for and following and watching for areas where shame, shame isn't. But the problem is, wherever you go, shame, shame follows because that's what you're, you're looking for. Isn't it interesting? Whatever you focus on the most, that is the thing that will disciple you. So we have to be careful, I think, in today's world, lest we get discipled by something like guilt. And now it's like, I, f- I feel guilty. I feel like everything's my fault. I feel like um, I'm, I can never amount to enough to satisfy the people that are around me. But I, I want to I encourage you today that Jesus actually offers you an opportunity to be discipled by him. And when you're discipled by Jesus, he's never failed, he's never faltered, he's never lied, he's never come up short, he's never been unvictorious, he always wins, he's always secure. In fact, all the things that you actually want in life are a symptom from being in a relationship with Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who brings freedom. He's the one who gives joy. He's the one who gives you a purpose and direction. He's the one who will lift you up. He's the one who will strengthen you. Discipleship, it looks like making making a life of being a student of Jesus. Now, Jesus does things a little bit different uh, than his contemporaries at his time. See, in, in ancient Hebrew culture, a rabbi wouldn't seek out disciples. Disciples would seek out a rabbi. And so if you're a, a, a Hebrew child, you, you'd be born and you go to school. And when you went to school, you would try to memorize the entire scripture, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And whichever kid could memorize those first five books the best, the law, if they could memorize it word for word and they understood it, then they would go to the next level of discipleship. And they'd continue to go up. And then eventually the elite of the elite would make it to the temple where they would present themselves as worthy disciples to the rabbis. And the rabbi would say, uh, little Susie, you um, memorized the book of Psalms so well. It is beautiful. Be my disciple. And so little Susie would say, okay. And, and she would follow that rabbi and see how he lived life and practiced life. Now Jesus, he came on the scene and he flipped the whole thing upside down. Instead of Jesus waiting for disciples, Jesus went to find his disciples himself. And he didn't choose the elites he chose the outcasts, the down and outs. He, choose all, he chose all the ones that didn't make it past the first stage, like all the ones that weren't smart enough, who couldn't read well enough. He chose all of them to be the disciples that he would work with and that would be underneath him. He would find people like Peter and Andrew who were fishermen because if you uh, flunked out of, of uh, seminary, if you will, then you just go do your, your father's trade. He would go to, to Matthew, the tax collector. Everyone hated Matthew because he essentially stole money from everyone. And he said, I want someone like you to be my disciple. Can I encourage you today? God is looking at you and saying, I want you to be my disciple. You might not have earned it. You might not deserve it. You might not be the best. You might not be the sharpest crayon in the box. But I want you to be my disciple because if you're my disciple, that means we are in, in relationship. See, see the, pro- the problem, the problem with, with, with this is that, um, is that you and I aren't very good at following God. In, in, instead, we, we want to follow our own ways. 
The Bible says like, it explains like this. Whenever you follow your ways above God's ways, it's something called sin. I don't know about you. I've sinned today. Like this morning, I didn't wake up. And I didn't wake up like eyes open. God, I'm ready to follow your ways. I'm like, God, I, I'm ready for coffee. And I, I want to convince you today. I don't, I'm not just trying to uh, tell you to be a disciple. If you're like me, uh, I, don't, I don't like being told what to do without understanding why I should do it in the first place. And the why is actually found all the way in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go there. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. And I'll try to get like short so you can see over me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule. Everyone say rule. So they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Everyone say rule. See that word rule, look, if you're not bilingual, maybe you only know one language today, I'm going to help you out. That word rule in Hebrew is the word rada, and it means to actively partake in partnering with God to move the world forward. In other words, from the very beginning of God's command to you and I, he's wanted to enter into a discipleship period with us. That from the beginning of time, God didn't just ask you to to exist or to fill a space at Miguel Contreras Learning Complex, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. You're significant. You have value. Woven into the DNA of God's plan for the world was you. He's called you to be a, a ruler, to have rule, but he's called you to actively partner with him to move the world forward. What does it look like to be a disciple? It looks like partnering with God to move the world forward. Forward. Forward from out of darkness into light, out of despair into hope, out of insecurity to confidence, out of death to life, out of hatred to love. See, but before we can move the world forward, I think you and I, we have to be disciples so we can move ourselves forward. Like, I'm not very good at moving my own life forward. How can I expect God to use me to move the world forward? Like first, I gotta figure out how to move my bank account from overdraft to generosity. I gotta figure out how to move my relationship from broken to whole, from my self-image from insecure to confident. That only comes from being discipled by Jesus. God can in one moment restore, renew, redeem, whatever. See, whenever we sin, we take ourselves out of the image of God and we try to form it into the image of ourselves. So we say, okay, God, that's a, that's a great plan, but have you thought about this? I promise you, God's not surprised, or he's not worried. He's not afraid of your sin. He has the solution for it. But every time we try to take control of our own life, we are substituting the real thing for a counterfeit. And over time, we live a life, a pattern of sin, where we aren't just taking on counterfeit things, we become a counterfeit version of the design that God's actually called us to be. And so we, we start to sacrifice. We start to pay the price for things that add no value to us. We start to give up things like um, our morals. We start to give up things 
like our confidence. We start to give up our relationships. We start to let people in who for a moment can satisfy something for us, but ultimately destroy us. And when we say yes to allowing God to disciple us, when we say yes to his ways and not our ways, Romans chapter 12, we already read it. It says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we allow God to transform our minds, we actually get to live in a way that we could never pray for. We can never imagine, we can never think of. Some of you in here, you see other Christians and you try to base a relationship with God off of the example they give. I'm here to tell you right now, if you're around boring Christians, it's not because God's boring, it's because they're not following him with their full heart. Now, I'm not here to tell you that if you're a disciple that all of a sudden life gets like fluffy and fun and smells like roses and blank checks show up in your mailbox. But what I'm saying is you get to live a life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All the things that you want but can only be found in Jesus. Can I give you guys three things real quick that discipleship is? Just three, three quick things. Number one, discipleship is a process. Discipleship is a process. And if you're going to be a disciple, you have to trust the process. I think anything good in life is worth waiting for. Right, that's why like the longest lines in LA, you just wait through them, courage bagels, you just gotta wait. Something good at the end. It's like really healthy relationships, they take time to build, they take time to form. Discipleship is like that, isn't it? It's a process, it takes time. It, it, it doesn't just happen in a moment and all of a sudden you're like, huh, I'm the best disciple in the world. No, it's, it's a process. And um, it's a process, but not just a process of time, it's a process of complexity. Because discipleship is a relationship. Discipleship is not our ability to act and behave and look and sound and do, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not about action, it's about relationship. And so it's not just like black and white living, that's the law. It's dynamic, it's complex, it's, it's, it's different between you and me and how we are discipled is different than one another because God interacts with us how we need to be interacted with. It's like a relationship. And, and, and how many of you guys remember the first date you ever went on? Jeez, people are like, trying to forget. Uh, I, was in, I was in seventh grade. And her name was Tina. Sorry, Steph. <laughs> and I remember this. Is the, the, my, first, my first date was awkward, as it would be, right in the middle of puberty. It's just a great time in my life. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting so excited about it. And I'm like, Mom, you better put this song on. You should let me love you. Like, <laughs> like I, had a, I burned a CD. The whole CD was that song. You know, we get in the car, Tina, you know. And I'm like, Mom, take, me, take us to the South Hill Mall. We're going to go see a movie, Napoleon Dynamite. Ironically, there's a character in Napoleon Dynamite named Tina. Eat your food. And I remember we're sitting there, and like, I had like, you know, I had been like, okay, we're, you know, we're going on a date, and I'm going to hold her hand. 
And so like the whole time I'm strategizing. I'm like, my mom gave me some cash. I got like some candy, some popcorn, the soda, the extra large soda. And I'm like, I can't put the soda in between us because there's nowhere for the hands to go. And so I put the soda on the other side and she's like, can I have some soda? And I'm like, here you go. And I, I put it back. It was very awkward. <laughs> Cringing a little bit thinking about it. Movie's going, vote for Pedro, you know, the whole thing. And I'm so like, I put my hand on, 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 the, on, the, on the armrest and I'm like, Movie's going on. I see her hand. <laughs> Our pinkies are touching at this point. Like, I'm sweating. I'm like, it's about to happen. My pinky crosses over her pinky. Like, that's as far as we got. That's, that's holding the hand for me. <laughs> Let go of her hand. We were done. Took her home. Never went on a date with Tina again. Shout out to Tina. Like maybe your first date wasn't, wasn't as successful as mine. You ever been around some couples, it's like their first date, and they're like head over heels? And it's like, whoa, this, you guys are jumping into things a little too fast. Right? They, they can't be separated. I, I'm, I'm convinced that whenever, I don't know if you're laughing at me, Julia, or uh, I'm sure Tina's life was changed forever after that, but. You know, discipleship is, is, is like, sometimes it can be uncomfortable and awkward. It's like, especially when you first enter into a relationship with God, it's like, how do we do this thing? Where do I put the cup? <laughs> Our pinkies are touching, like, what are we doing? <laughs> Maybe for you, it's like, I've, I've, been, I've been at church for a long time now, and it feels like I've been, I've been singing the songs and the red card. That's cool. I like soccer. You know, it's like, that, that's awesome. I signed up for conference, but like I haven't really seen my life move forward. And maybe it's time for you to realize I have to start to be discipled by God. I have to start a relationship with him. It's awkward in the beginning. It's like you, you open up the Bible and you're like, this reads like a foreign language to me. What are these stories about? What is this, what is this verse saying? I, go, I went to my first connect group, and it felt weird. I don't know these people. This is my first connect group. This is strange. I want to convince you, discipleship, it's a process. Keep reading. Keep showing up at connect groups. Keep forming that relationship. Before you know it, it goes from pinkies, now you're noodle. It's the full thing. <laughs> don't, don't let the discomfort or awkward moments of your faith disqualify you from a relationship that God has for you. You know, discipleship, it's a process. I remember growing up, uh, I was in kindergarten, and my mom got seeds, and we had a planter, and so we planted the seeds. And every morning, uh, after, or every, every afternoon after school, I would, I would come and I'd, I'd inspect the seeds, like, where's the leaf? Is the leaf going to come up out of the soil? Where, I don't know where it is. And every day, we'd come and we'd water the seed, and I remember, you know, Monday through, that Monday through Friday, there was no leaf. And I was like, I think the seed's broken. The seed's not working. The seed's broken. So I reached in, and I, and I grabbed the seed, the seed out of the soil, only to realize the seed was growing down before it grew up. The seed was growing beneath the soil where I couldn't see it, where I didn't know it was happening. 
But the seed was doing something I, I didn't understand at the time. In order for it to live above the ground, it had to build roots to sustain it under the ground. In order for God to use your life to move the world forward, you, you can't just sprout up in one day. You've got to let the seed grow before the breakthrough happens. You ever heard of bamboo before? Trick question. It's a strange world if you never heard of bamboo. Do you know why they're called bamboo shoots? Because bamboo, when it's planted, it takes weeks, months, and it, it grows down and out. It, it, it builds a, a foundation that no one can see. And then in one week, it grows 12 feet. I wonder in your life if God is doing something that you can't see unless you look under the surface. I wonder if God has you in some moments that you don't realize you're growing and you're being strengthened and there's a foundation being formed through discipleship that you don't even realize and in one moment God has a propensity to press fast forward and you shoot into the destiny that God has for you. I wonder if there's some people here in the room, it feels like your life is being pulled back. Your job, your dream, your relationships are being pulled back. But God isn't just pulling you back. He's loading you into a bow and arrow to shoot you into your future. I wonder if there's some people in here, you feel the pressure of life. You feel like a crushing, but it's God loading a spring so you could spring into what he has for you. Don't dig up the seed before the breakthrough happens. Some of you, your breakthrough is right around the corner. Some of you, your breakthrough is right after this meeting. Some of you, it's right now. Don't dig up the seed. You got to trust the process. Keep going to connect. Keep reading. Keep diving in. Keep on showing up at church. Because if you do, discipleship will transform your life. That's the second one, right? Write down number two. Number two, uh, discipleship is transformation. And you got to know the season of discipleship you're in. If you can't identify the season you're in, it's going to be hard. The Bible says to go from glory to glory, strength to strength, more and more into the image of God every day. It's going to be hard for you to go from glory to glory, strength to strength, if you don't realize where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of you, you're like, I've never had a relationship with God. But this sounds good. I would like to start. Let me give you step one and step two. The Bible says in Mark chapter one and verse 15, I'll read it here. I don't want to mess it up. It says, the time has come, maybe for you, that time is right now. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So I think believing the good news, that's the, that's the easy part, right? Okay, I messed up. I'm a sinner. Sometimes I choose my ways over God's ways, but God is so good in his loving kindness and grace. He still chooses to love me even though I don't always love him. That sounds good to me, right? It's like, okay, cool. I mess up. He still loves me. But there's another part in there. It says repent. And I remember I was, I was going over my message with my six-year-old, and I wanted to to explain it to him in a way that he could understand. I figured if he could understand it, then hopefully we could understand it together. And I got to this point in, in the talk, and I said, River, do you know what repent means? And he said, no. And I was like, yep, you're six years old. And I said, repent just means to turn around. 
I said, River, sometimes you have a bad attitude, and you hear mom and I say, okay, it's time to turn around your attitude. What we're saying is, River, it's time to repent of your attitude. It's time to turn away from your old ways. It's time to turn away from things that don't honor God. It's time to turn away. Some of you, you have the belief part down. You grew up in church. I believe in God. The Bible says even the demons believe, and yet they still shudder. How many of us still shudder even though we believe? It's because you'll never know who you believe in until you start repenting and turning towards him. I want to I want to convince you God doesn't want you to repent so you'll turn away from your old life. He wants you to repent so you'll turn to him. And whenever you turn to God, he's always there waiting for you to give you a life that you didn't know was waiting for you. Our God is so faithful. The Bible says even when we were faithless, he's faithful. That when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Bandy, Bandy you can come out. We're going to sound real spiritual pretty soon. Get those keys going. But this is encouraging. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Now, now, uh, when we draw near to God, like this is how we, we just turn in his direction. But pretty quickly we'll realize that he's the one who climbed the mountain, swam across the ocean, defeated the army to meet us where we are. All we had to do was turn. That's what his grace is. That's what it looks like. Maybe for you, it's like, I, 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 don't, know if, I don't know if I want to start this relationship. I'm here to convince you, you'll never get what you want until you have a relationship with Jesus. And then you'll realize all you wanted all along was not those things. Those things were just a symptom of the thing you really wanted, which is a relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of you in your discipleship journey, you know, uh, you've already repent, you already believe, but you're like, now is the time I, I want to start sharing my faith. I love what it says here in Matthew chapter 5. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love this. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine on Facebook as you attack your friends and family. Let your voting preference shine before others. Let your political stances, let your do-goodism, let your religion. No, no, it says, let your light shine. You know, light never has to tell the darkness how dark it is. It just shines. I'm convinced people are afraid of God because they're afraid of Christians. But what would it look like, Zoe Church, if we were a church full of love, grace, compassion, forgiveness, mercy? When people wrong us, we don't try to get back at them. We embrace them. We include them. What if we weren't a church that pushed people away? We were a church that brought people in. Maybe you're, you're someone and you know you're called to disciple other people. Teach people how to follow Jesus. Paul says, as I follow Jesus. You know, it's really cool. We have something in our church called Connect Groups, and it just started. And maybe for you, it's time for you to lead a Connect Group, to invite people. And what I love about our Connects is wherever you are in this journey, there's a Connect Group for you. We have these things called fun groups. So maybe uh, you're not quite at the place where you want to share your faith, but you want to go to the movies, touch pinkies with God, fun groups for you. Concessions are on him. Maybe you want to learn how to share your faith. We have groups called faith groups where people meet together, they, they discuss their faith. We have 
Bible studies and devotional groups, or maybe you're in a place where you want to lead people. We have these things called formation groups where you can help encourage people in their walk in faith. I think it's really important for us to understand discipleship was never meant to be a solo gig. You were meant to do this with people. Last point, point number three. I'll wrap up in just a second. We can get to the NFL and all that fun stuff. Uh, 125 is the next set of games. Uh, so we're good. Discipleship is becoming like Jesus. And the more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. See, we don't become disciples so that we can do what Jesus has done. We become disciples because the closer we follow him, the closer we are to him. You know, in, in the Bible, there's only two instances where disciples are found alone. The first one, we meet this guy in the scripture in Genesis, his name's Adam. And God creates Adam and commands Adam to rule, to rada, to actively partake with him. Now Adam, the Bible says he's in this garden and everything is perfect. The Bible says, God says six times, it is very good. There was no sin, there was no snake, there was no serpent, there was no devil. It was ideal, but it wasn't perfect because God saw one thing that was not good in the garden. And it was that Adam was alone, is that he was a disciple by himself. So what did God do? He actively partnered with Adam. He said, we're gonna find you community. We're gonna find you a helper. So the Bible says that God brings all the animals in front, of, in front of Adam and he says, okay, Adam, together, you're really gonna do this, but we're partnered together. You're gonna name all these animals. And so Adam's like, okay, giraffe, cheetah, platypus, dog. That's your name backwards. <laughs> But, but what Adam didn't realize God was doing is God was preparing him for relationship. If God would have just given Adam Eve without first teaching Adam how to have a relationship with him, how long is that relationship going to last? He had to teach him. He had to raise him up. He had to do, disciple Adam. Then the Bible says that Adam went to sleep. God put him into a deep sleep, melatonin, and says that he took his rib and out of the rib he formed Eve and Adam had his community. Notice, Adam didn't create community for himself. God gave him community. I gotta, t I gotta convince you. The Bible says that God takes the lonely and puts them into families. We're in Los Angeles, a city of over 10 million people and more lonely people than anywhere else in the world. Maybe God's brought you to Zoe to put a lonely person into a family. The second time we see a disciple by himself, maybe you've heard his, heard his name before. His name is Judas. And Judas leaves his other disciples, the other disciples, he leaves Jesus and he goes off by himself. And the Bible says that he's tempted and his, indeed his heart turns wicked and he sells Jesus out for 30 silver coins. And the actions that happened in his isolation reverberates through history until today. Because we are never meant to do discipleship alone. 